Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and Bullseye Remote Gaming Server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba, and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties. Um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. This podcast is brought to you by BitCasino, the leading Bitcoin-led casino operator that has an expansive quality casino product featuring close to 3,000 games, including slots, table games, and live dealer casinos from some of the industry's leading suppliers. Head over to bitcasino.io to find your favorite games. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. All right. Good afternoon. Stefan Kovac, how's it going? I'm very well, thank you, Pierre. Very well. I've been going down a little uh, rabbit hole uh, here in the last couple of uh, weeks uh, in, the, in, the, in the NFT, crypto, blockchain space rabbit hole I've been finding myself in, in recently. And that's why we are uh, here today, Stefan. We, we met, uh, obviously, during the, um, uh, during the Clubhouse session here a couple of weeks ago in the Argument Next Clubhouse session where you were kind enough to, to guess to kind of go deeper into this topic. Yeah, and um, I, I would say since then, it's just been uh, just absolutely fascinating to learn more about this uh, space today. So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing in general? Uh, everything's okay where you are? Everything's good. Yeah, yeah, no, all is good. Yeah, yeah, I'm based in, in, in London. Um, we've got a bit of sunshine out there, so I'm, uh, I'm happy about that. But no, all good. Busy, but good. Yeah. Awesome. Good to, good to hear that, Stefan. Uh, as a little introduction here, perhaps, uh, you know, you're the managing director of Think Changers, uh, uh, but you also have a long uh, background in the agony space. You, you, like many others in the agony industry, you transitioned from uh, the gaming space into, into the crypto blockchain space. But would you like to just introduce a little bit what you do with Think Changers and, and your expertise? Sure. Yep. Sure. So um, I've been running Think Changers actually for a while, but most recently, uh, the focus has kind of shifted uh, into predominantly kind of blockchain-based uh, business consultancy. So uh, prior prior to kind of uh, deep diving back into that kind of consultancy business, I was CEO for a 
decentralized gaming platform called Funfair Technologies, which was built on the Ethereum blockchain, um, which was fascinating. And that was off the back of uh, uh, my second stint, actually, with PokerStars. And I've had quite a long period working uh, with PokerStars and, and other gaming operators before that. Um, was fascinated by kind of crypto and blockchain four or five years ago uh, and decided I wanted to transition into, into the space. And so hence uh, Funfair came along. Um, and then since then, I've really been uh, you know, fascinated by what's kind of quickly emerging, I think, as you know, mass market use cases, uh, which we've been waiting for a long time, frankly, with, with blockchain. Uh, and you know, NFTs, I think, are super, super exciting. Um, we're seeing, you know, their, their use across many different industries and many different sectors. Um, and I'm helping a couple of gaming companies actually um, with their use of NFTs um, and going actually beyond just the use of NFTs from a collectible perspective, but also into their kind of utility. Um, so how can you NFTs, uh, maybe tying it in with DeFi or, you know, adding additional value? Um, so yeah, NFTs is a big focus. Um, I'm also doing some work on uh, DeFi. Uh, I'm also doing some work uh, with a venture capital company here in London, looking at setting up a, a, an NFT business with uh, or for the fashion industry. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Stefan. Uh, I was thinking today, you know, um, I think we're going to unravel a few of these concepts a little bit at its core uh, to understand uh, these concepts from kind of first principle thinking in a way. Um, and then kind of build from there a little bit to understand a bit more uh, as the topic of today is that we are creating the, the bull case here for uh, for crypto NFTs and, and uh, blockchain, obviously. Um, so, so I was thinking first, uh, if, uh, if we can go back to basics a little bit to, to understand these concepts and why they are relevant. But before we do that, I want to just do a quick deep dive here, because in the promotion of this podcast, usually we <laughs> promote our podcast using their images, the title and so on and so forth. But in your case, we slapped on a, a pixelated avatar <laughs> that, uh, uh, that is, uh, that's basically an <clears throat> NFT that you can sell within 10 minutes if you wanted to. This pixelated NFT worth 50,000 plus dollars. Can you explain why do you own a $50,000 pixelated avatar? <laughs> so, so let's start the point today. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to start the conversation. So um, yeah, I, I'm lucky enough to own a, a CryptoPunk. Um, I bought the CryptoPunk when it was considerably cheaper than it is now. Uh, but even at that time, I was questioning myself and thinking, is, it, is this going to be a good investment or not? Thankfully, it has turned out to be a good investment. Um, CryptoPunks, I think, is super, super interesting because it was, you know, one of the first um, NFT collectible editions that was released on Ethereum. Um, there are 10,000 of these punks for people who are not familiar with them, and they are very simple, crude, graphical uh, kind of caricatures. And the, the thing, I think, with it, I actually quite like the aesthetic. It's kind of a retro sort of computer aesthetic, and I, I quite like that. Uh, it's certainly not everybody's cup of tea. Um, and you, the, the clever thing, I think, and this was like three or four years ago now, so things have moved on considerably, um, was the, A, there's only 10,000 of them that will ever be produced, and B, they all have different attributes, okay? And, and through those attributes, you can create scarcity. 
Um, so what's known as the floor on those 10,000 punks, I think currently is around about $40,000, $45,000. So that's the lowest entry point you can buy a punk. Some of the rarer punks with some of the rarer attributes, I mean, they've sold for well over a million. Um, Sotheby's are now doing, you know, punk uh, additions and they're selling six to eight punks at a time. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's really kind of taken off. And why am I bullish particularly on um, crypto punks? I'm bullish on a number of different kind of NFT uh, collectibles. But I think with crypto punks, it's the first, right? It will always be the first. And no one's ever going to take that away, right? And I think, therefore, you know, if this is a new art movement, and in part, I absolutely believe NFTs will create a new art movement, if you're the first in that movement, there is value there. And again, there's there's a limited supply. Okay, there's only ever going to be ten thousand Bitcoin. There's going to be twenty one million, uh, million, still a lot. Um, so yeah, that that's why I own a crypto punk, and I'm quite happy to own it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can just imagine you going to the going to the wife or whatever, and like, uh, honey, you know, I spent the holiday money here on on this avatar, you know. But hear me out here, hear me out. It's, uh, but, uh, <laughs> we've, we've had a few conversations of, of that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I, I must say, though, to be honest with you, Stefan, you know, when you when you, when you first research it, when you first look into it, and I urge everyone who's listening or watching this to just Google crypto punks just to understand what, what this is, and you'll just be absolutely fascinated, you know. And when you first are presented with this concept, um, I think our intuition tells us this question, like, why the hell would I spend 50,000 on that image, you know? Uh, and because this is just how we are how we are raised on the internet uh, where, you know, images, uh, you can just Google them, you can use them for whatever you want. And the concept of owning a digital uh, image is just very counterintuitive to uh, to everything that we uh, know and are raised with in, in general. And in fact, you know, I posted this clip, uh, I posted this link to in our internal channel in, in uh, the other day and that was the first comment of, of one of the guys that's like this is fucking retarded <laughs> but, but then but then you know 10 minutes later after just like having this like discussion okay what is the value of Mona Lisa why is Mona Lisa worth 550 million dollars uh, uh, is it because it's painted with some like alien technology or material no it's because Someone at that time attributed value to it and others agreed and they created legacy and there was some meaning behind it. And all of a sudden, the manifestation of this art piece became what gave it uh, value in a way. And, and uh, you can just say that exactly the same thing uh, on, on the NFT side of, of, of things, uh, obviously. Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. 100% makes sense. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the first thing I hear from people is, well, I can't hang on my wall. If I can't hang on my wall, then it doesn't have any value to me. Well, you know, artwork itself isn't the material value that it's produced on. It's not the canvas, it's not the frame. It's more than anything, it's the artist, right? If you look at the most valuable pieces of art in the world, it's the artist that determines the price of that. And then it's the kind of collective aesthetic appreciation of that style or piece of work. Um, so, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I think there is, uh, there's a bubble within NFTs. I think that bubble has mm. actually probably started bursting probably a month or so ago. Although, having said that, there was a single pixel that sold, I think, last week. It was grey, 
single pixel. So just a gray, it was just gray square, 1.6 million. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go figure. I mean, this might be a new, a new crypto kind of aesthetic, but there's, there's some lunacy going on there. Um, <laughs> but what I would say is if, if you're curious about it, and there's, there's some much, much cheaper NFTs that you can buy, um, and there's lots of NFTs which aren't artwork, They've, they've got real utility or, or lots of stuff in gaming. Um, just buy it because actually going through that process is is quite painful still. There's still a big UX piece of work that needs to be done. But you do feel a sense of ownership. You know, this sense of, even though I can see reproductions of it here, there, and there, you feel a sense of ownership. And when you sell it or you give it away, you also feel a bit of a sense of loss. Um, so I, th I, I think there is a big education piece there um, mm -hmm. that people, it will take a while for people to get their heads around. But look at things like NBA Top Shots in, in, in the States. Um, you know, that's gone through the roof uh, and is great at, in terms of kind of onboarding and educating people. Absolutely. And the, the NBA Top Shots is uh, essentially that you are, you are able to buy certain highlights within the NBA. So if LeBron James did a really cool dunk that you really liked, you can own that highlights, would say. Uh, so, so it's the, the emotional connection that kind of gives it uh, value. But I, I think on the crypto punk side of things, for me, that is really interesting because when you have seen one crypto punk, you have kind of seen all the others, so to say. They are connected in the way that they, they, are, they are a certain style. And, and when you see one, you see all. So it's kind of the community that drives up the value in a way. Uh, you know, they, they increase in value together. And that means that there is, um, it's almost like when you buy um, Rolex in a way, uh, in the same way as you you go in, like, why do you own a Rolex? You know, does it does it show the time better? It's like, no, not really. Uh, it shows the time be equally well as my Batman watch when I was four years old. But you buy the you buy the Rolex because you 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 want to kind of assert your. Um, uh, you, you want to you want to gain respect and credibility in 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 social environments. I mean, in, you go into a meeting and you are respected as someone who owns a Rolex, and therefore you must be credible, kind of thing. And similarly, on the internet, um, having the CryptoPunk as your avatar on Clubhouse, for example, or on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever it may be, it kind of gives you that same respect and credibility. Uh, of the of the group as well. So in Clubhouse, you know, you if you want to be called up on stage and you have a CryptoPunk as an avatar, people will see that as oh wow, he has a CryptoPunk. Uh, you know, uh, he must have something interesting to say. You know, so it's kind of like we've, we've gone full circle in a way. I, well, know, I, 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 yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think we're only at the very beginning of that mm. sort of. Uh, and it doesn't have to be high value. I mean, it, it's as we increasingly spend more and more time online. Yeah. Uh, and I it will we'll probably no doubt talk about it later, but I think we'll see a rise in in metaverses, kind of shared digital spaces that we increasingly kind of spend time. You know how we look uh, is important offline. It will be equally important online. Um, and, and you know, using NFTs all of a sudden give us the ability to own, create, own, sell, um, not just clothing and items but all manner of different different things and it, it mm -hmm. I, I, you know i think it is genuinely kind of a paradigm shift um which you can kind of see you know the the, the, the certainly the venture capital companies around the world waking up to and all the big ip owners you know the big ip owners like disney for instance who really failed to 
kind of monetize their assets digitally. You know, they relate to streaming, um, and and what a catalog of assets they got. You know, all of a sudden they're thinking, right, crikey, we can now suddenly monetize this and create you know whole new kind of creative experiences around IP that we've already got. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's fascinating. I think I think we're very very early days. Um, it's a little bit frothy, like I said before, um, as is nearly always the case with the new technology, uh, and seems to always be the case with crypto. Um, but that I think will kind of you know that will play out, um, and we're we're here to see you know some really interesting things happen. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, we started uh, now with a complete deep dive into into CryptoPunks uh, here, obviously. But uh, uh, let's take a little bit step uh, back, just to go back to the first principles of, of uh, why this all kind of makes sense and, and so forth. And we build it from there. Um, you know, so, so Stefan, can you explain from your perspective, like what is the uh, what is the blockchain, and what is Bitcoin? And can you kind of just go back to very first principles and and explain these two concepts? I could try. I'm notoriously bad at this, but I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll try because it, it, it's a little bit complicated. But yeah. I mean, in essence, really, a blockchain is just a, a distributed digital ledger, um, and it enables the transfer of value between different parties with no intermediaries. Okay, so in doing that, it's transparent, it's immutable, it can't be changed, and it's super, super secure. Okay, so it's actually not the most sexy thing, actually, at its heart. Um, but what it does is something which is quite magical. Uh, and I think Bitcoin, albeit Bitcoin is just one aspect of blockchain technology. It's a cryptocurrency. And of course, everybody gets fascinated by cryptocurrencies, but it runs off its own blockchain. And the Bitcoin blockchain enables for the first time true peer-to-peer exchange of value or currency okay and of course it's not a currency that you're going to go to your local shop with and buy uh, a pint of milk with right Um, we know that and there's reasons for that but nonetheless it is a uh, a form of value that i can send to you directly now a lot of people think well you know frankly i've got my bank account and you know i've got my mobile app and i can ping you 10 pounds you can, but you have got a whole series of intermediaries and a whole series of infrastructure in between me and you to enable that transaction. So really, you know, what um, Satoshi came up with, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago was something actually that, you know, the, the tech space had been chasing and entrepreneurs have been chasing for a long time, which is this true ability to transfer value in a trustless way between two individuals who don't know each other, right? It's as good as me meeting you in a pub and handing you over 10 pounds, it's then in your hand. And that in essence is, you know, it's one use case. Um, It's the most famous use case. But actually if you think about it, you step back, you think bloody hell, right? That's really quite incredible, right? We've never managed to achieve that uh, digitally, or we haven't managed to achieve that digitally to date. We've achieved a hell of a lot of other things from a digital perspective. Um, so, I, you know, it's 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 kind of fascinating. It's kind of complicated because it takes out the middleman, and we're not used to having a middleman taken out. And you know, if you hold cryptocurrency uh, and you do that in a non-custodial way, i.e., you hold it, 
not a third party, it's actually quite scary because you're responsible. You don't have a bank. You are the bank. You don't have the ability to go to the bank and say, look, I've, I've sent it to the wrong account or it was, it was taken from me. I want it to be reimbursed. Um, so that, I think, if that hasn't confused people, is to me, in essence, what blockchain technology enables. And it's not just currencies. It's transfers of values of all shapes, forms, uh, et cetera. And NFT is a great example of that. Um, and Bitcoin is the most, you know, the, the, the kind of poster child. It still remains the poster child. Uh, it has problems uh, around latency. So it's speed uh, and cost. Um, and really, the more decentralized uh, a distributed ledger or a blockchain is, at the moment, generally speaking, the slower it is. And the more popular it gets, the more expensive it becomes. Okay, so that's a problem. Uh, and it's a problem with Bitcoin. And that makes it impractical for use in terms of buying things on an everyday basis. Uh, and the narrative has kind of moved, particularly this year, uh, to it becoming much more a store of value uh, and a hedge against inflation uh, we're obviously in a bull market cycle at the moment um, with cryptocurrencies and, and you know bitcoin kind of leading that charge and the big change i think what we've seen is you know institutions and treasuries are now buying into bitcoin albeit small amounts of their total treasury um, but enough that this isn't just a retail phenomena anymore okay. um, so yeah yeah, I thought that was a great explanation, actually. Uh, Stefan, not, not at all. <laughs> uh, but I do have a, I do have a follow-up question. You mentioned um, that the problem, the problem of scalability with Bitcoin is the fact that the more popular it becomes, the more, the slower and the more expensive uh, it becomes. So, so a question on that is: um, if it is decentralized, um, what do you mean that it becomes expensive? Like, because uh, uh, obviously it's decentralized, so where does the money go? Um, and uh, and also um, you, you mentioned that it's slow. So, for example, if I want to send you Bitcoin right now, uh, do you mean that uh, it will take longer and longer time for that Bitcoin to reach you? Um, is that uh, this, the slowness in the system? Can you do this to explain that a little bit more? Yes. Yes. I mean, I think we're we're still kind of running off first what I would call kind of first generation blockchains. Uh, and again, if you look at kind of internet and you look at the internet protocols, they were originally designed in the early 60s. They were then used by academia and the military for 30, 40 years. And really only in the 90s did kind of commerce jump on on um, the internet protocols and, and build from there. It's not going to take that long for blockchain. Uh, but these things do take time. And it's such a revolutionary technology that involves actually lots of different technologies being brought together. Um, you know, its evolution uh, is, is you know, I, I think we're still several years away at least um, from true kind of mass market adoption. Uh, and that really is around the scalability question. Um, so, I mean, a good, you know, Bitcoin has one use case, ostensibly, which is a currency. Something like Ethereum uh, has much broader use cases. So Ethereum, which is the number two uh, cryptocurrency by market cap, albeit quite a bit smaller than Bitcoin, um, I look at it as being an operating system. Okay, so it's a bit like an iOS, it's a bit like an Android. Um, it enables businesses or decentralized applications to be built on top of it. 
And you know, the big breakthrough with Ethereum was something called smart contracts. And these are contracts that you can build on top of the, uh, the blockchain uh, to perform all sorts of functions. They're not actually that smart. They're a little bit simple, <laughs> but <laughs> they enable, uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're complex. And, but in essence, what they enable is relatively straightforward. They enable, uh, you know, simple acts to take place between separate parties um, without a middleman. So it's taking, it may be borrowing money, lending money, it may be uh, playing a game, whatever it might be. And Ethereum has become wildly popular um, for developers because it is very decentralized. Okay, so there are other blockchains out there, EOS, Tron, for instance, which are less decentralized, or Binance Smart Chain, which has become very popular recently. Um, and you know, the purists would argue, well, is there any real difference between a blockchain, uh, between a, sorry, a database and these blockchains? And there is, but not to the extent of Bitcoin or Ethereum, which is truly decentralized. There is no middleman. There are kind of no points of weakness in that sense. Um, so with something like Ethereum, because it's become so wildly popular, um, it uses something called gas to uh, kind of police transactions. Because if there was no cost for transacting, it would just be spammed. It would just be, there would be no reason to try and limit the transactions and be sensible about the transactions. Um, and that would lead to uh, the, uh, the transaction becoming very slow, I guess. Like, correct, correct, yeah. correct. So gas prices at the moment are, are insane on Ethereum. Uh, mm. You know, for minting NFTs can be $100. Uh, for transferring funds, $20, $30. You know, it should be a cent, yeah, most, two or three cent, five cent, ten cents. Um, so the reason that's happening is very simply is that there's a, there's a pipe uh, and people are trying to push more through that pipe than that pipe can actually uh, take. And that pipe actually is, are the blocks, right? It's the data being put into each block, which is then sequentially being laid down in a blockchain. Um, and there is kind of this trade-off that the quicker and the bigger the pipe and the cheaper it is, the less decentralized you are, the more decentralized you are with the current technology, actually uh, it's a more finite pipe. Um, so it's slower and it's more expensive. Now, having said that, there's an enormous amount of work going on and some, you know, a lot of brain power to try and work out and try and build this kind of next generation blockchain that will overcome those scalability issues because that's the single biggest issue now in terms of mass market adoption. I mean, there's some UX issues still um, and there's some education issues, but actually if you're paying that sort of money and it's that slow, forget it. People aren't gonna do it, right? Unless they really get a value out of it. And there's a small group of people who do currently. Um, so Ethereum, for instance, which is still, I think, the front runner, uh, albeit I don't think is one you know, a winner takes all in terms of operating systems. I think like the uh, the internet, there'll be half a dozen, maybe a dozen operating systems. Ostensibly, they'll do the same thing, but they'll have slightly different specialties. You know, some will focus a bit more maybe on DeFi, others will focus a bit more maybe on NFTs. Um, so, but for me, Ethereum, probably because it's 
the most established. It's got the biggest developer base. It's got the biggest ecosystem, um, despite all of the gas issues with, with Ethereum at the moment. So there's two things happening on Ethereum. One is Ethereum itself is upgrading to Ethereum 2. Uh, um, and this is all open source software. It's all very decentralized. There is no one in the middle calling the shots. Um, so this is all kind of community-driven development. Um, and Ethereum 2 is is kind of laid out in a series of different stages. Uh, we're at stage one. I think there's stages two, three, and then four um, before we get to a point where throughput will be, you know, at kind of credit card level, you know, the, the, that sort of magnitude of transaction. It probably will almost certainly will need to go again, grow again beyond that, but it will be a, you know, a, a quantum leap from where we are now. Best guess in terms of when that's going to be delivered? Probably sometime next year. Um, so still some way off. So what's also happening on Ethereum is something called layer twos. And layer twos are building off the core blockchain, uh, a side chain. And there's lots of different approaches in terms of how this is happening. And that's actually happening now. And what that does is it speeds up, it minimizes the number of transactions that need to take place on the core blockchain. And by minimizing them, you therefore kind of help reduce the congestion, your price goes down, your speed throughput goes up. Um, so that's what's happening on Ethereum. Um, then we're seeing a plethora of other chains being developed. Um, so there's people like Polkadot, there's people like Cardano, there's a whole list. And if you look at the top you know, 100 uh, blockchain businesses out there, a large percentage of them will be these kind of infrastructure operational or operating system blockchains, or they'll be infrastructural. They're not really that many that are kind of B2C at this point, because it's kind of the plumbing. The plumbing needs to be right, and then on top of that, the B2C stuff will grow. Um, and the likes of kind of Polkadot, the likes of uh, Cardano are very decentralized. A lot of the, you know, the, the founders of those businesses often have come from Ethereum. They were part of the original Ethereum team. They just have slightly different ways of increasing the throughput and reducing um, the, the, the gas costs. So it's, it's, it's a very <laughs> dynamic space. Um, yeah. And then you've also got actually a rise of these less decentralized uh, blockchains, Binance Smart Chain. So Binance obviously being the, the largest centralized exchange in the world, even though uh, Coinbase obviously listed a week or two ago, um, have set up their own, uh, is a fork of Ethereum. Uh, it's less decentralized, there's less nodes. Um, and again, the purists don't like that because ultimately Binance can kind of control it. Mm. Uh, but Nonetheless, the transaction time milliseconds costs are a couple of cents. Uh, and you're seeing a whole ecosystem growing up on Binance Smart Chain. You're also seeing a few of the dApps on Ethereum moving over. Um, so, yeah, really a very dynamic yeah. space at the moment. <laughs> Super interesting. I mean, so, so, so um, let's see if I, if I understand this correctly. Then step on. So basically, the, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain it's um it, it was the, it was the first group it's cryptocurrency and it was done in a quite rudimentary way where the only use case for the bitcoin blockchain is that you can transfer currency uh, in the blockchain you can only transfer 
uh, B2C within that blockchain. Whereas then uh, Ethereum came along and they said, why don't we use uh, blockchain as a concept to not only transfer or be able to transfer uh, currency, but to also transfer, let's say, code within the uh, within the blockchain, so that uh, you can come up with all kinds of different concepts uh, than like the, the the smart contracts, for example, or you can code an NFT within uh, the the blockchain, so that you actually are transferring an asset rather than just uh, uh, currency, basically, and therefore. Uh, Ethereum, uh, the use cases for Ethereum uh, is, is, is kind of controlled by the, by the imagination of the community, let's say. There's not only currency, there can be a thousand other things that can be used uh, <coughs> uh, with using a, a blockchain technology. And at the same time, within the community, there seems to be this like tug and pull between uh, pure decentralization, which is kind of the core of the community, is that, uh, you know, uh, fuck the central banks uh, type of thing, um, yeah. uh, for the for society to flourish, for there to be no corruption, uh, for there to be transparency, we need uh, decentralization. However, um, that is coming at the cost uh, at the moment uh, of um, the, uh, the true decentralized, decentralized blockchains being slow and expensive. Uh, then that is kind of the trade-off right now. But uh, if I understand it correctly now, with uh, uh, Ethereum 2 coming along, hopefully then next year, um, they are trying to solve many of these issues, basically, so that uh, this uh, blockchain can remain uh, decentralized, but uh, uh, also um, but, but uh, solving the issues of them, uh, hopefully not being so slow and not being as expensive. Is that a decent summary? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that is the, 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 the kind of broad picture. I think the other thing that, you know, NFTs has kind of brought up recently is the environmental impact. And actually the shift, so it's a shift from something called uh, proof of work to proof of stake on Ethereum will go a long, long way to uh, reducing some of the energy consumption uh, that is currently taking place with blockchains. Um, so it, it, it's still, you know, it's still, even though it's 10 years kind of on since, you know, Satoshi first published his white paper, it's still very nascent as a technology. Uh, and I think, you know, again, what you see with most technologies is this kind of uh, initial uh, kind of hype, then into this kind of trough of despair. And then you begin to get, you know, sustainable traction um, as the technology kind of matures and people begin to get their head around it. And, you know, I think we saw that kind of back in 2017, we saw the first, you know, massive bubble in terms of uh, crypto uh, prices. I say massive bubble, it was actually relatively small compared to the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s. Uh, and I suspect because the technology is inextricably linked to a, a new asset class, which is unusual, right? I mean, the dot-com bubble used traditional stock, right, and stock markets. This has created its own asset, an asset class. Uh, that complicates things um, and drives, I think, more wild kind of speculation uh, in terms of prices. And hence, we see cryptocurrencies going, you know, up and down like a yo-yo. Um, and then we've, we've had, you know, two or three years of those in the industry we've called it the the the, the crypto winter um when, when prices were kind of you know looking at prices now they were rock bottom um 
but nonetheless, actually, there was an enormous amount of work going on, um, both in the entrepreneurial space, but also in the kind of corporate space and in the regulatory space to try and understand this technology, to try and explore, experiment with it uh, and build upon it. So I think, you know, a lot of people are now looking at the current bull run and like, well, this is a bubble, um, you know, we're, we're back into kind of bubble territory. And I, I kind of think yes and no. Um, you know, I, I detach the crypto to a large extent from the blockchain because I think you've got, you know, enormous strides being made in terms of blockchain technology and its its uses. Cryptocurrencies, yes, it's a young asset class. Yes, it's very volatile. Um, and yes, there's some frothiness in there. But having said that, it's still, uh, I think, you know, it's probably undervalued actually in the, in the long run because the potential for the technology is so great um, you know, the prices are generally speculative. Um, and we will see big drops again. I have no doubt about that. I've given up on trying to predict uh, the price of cryptocurrencies moving forward. But I don't, I, I feel we're not really in that sort of hyper bubble mode that probably the rest of the world looks at the, 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 the crypto markets and thinks, all right, here we go again. I feel probably, probably less, less, less so about that this time around, just because I think there's much greater understanding, there's much greater regulatory certainty, there's much more institutional investment, and probably most importantly, there's actually much more um, you know, real promise and real understanding and actually some real utility and real numbers in terms of you know, users and use cases for the blockchain. Yeah, I, I guess um, it's such a new technology and such a paradigm shifting way of thinking about value and, uh, and transferring value and how that is, uh, how you're removing the, the middle hand that it's, um, it's obviously take, takes a long time before the technology lands a little bit in the sense that <coughs> what, what, um, what is the use cases, what is it really going to be? I, I guess a couple of years ago, you know, the, um, the feeling, I, I mean, I'm an outsider a bit, but the feeling that I got from the Bitcoin community was that this is going to be the new currency uh, of the world, so to say, and, and this is in the future, everyone will trade with Bitcoin. But it seems that the um, the use case now, especially, um, I would say, uh, you know, especially after COVID, when uh, when the uh, when the value started to to uh, to shoot through the roof, is the more that Bitcoin is landing in the Bitcoin is landing in itself being. Um, the digital gold, as we were saying, the store of wealth more than anything else, uh, right? And, and um, if we then take a look at gold as an asset class, um, right now I think there's something like $10 trillion that is stored in, in gold, something along those lines. And um, the reason why gold is uh, the number one kind of uh, asset to store wealth in is because the scarcity of gold uh, it's like yes, there is some use cases for gold, but it's not really yeah. why uh, it's uh, it's, it's uh, it holds so much value. Obviously, uh, it's more that the world kind of agreed that uh, gold is uh, is what we are going to uh, to use as a as a metric to store uh, wealth. Um, so you can make the argument the same for uh, for Bitcoin that um, uh, yes, there is the same scarcity as uh, as gold has. It's very predictable. You know, um, we are probably not going to find. Uh, you know, some big lake of gold under the, the, the ground uh, <laughs> somewhere, you know. But I, by the way, I, th I thought it was quite interesting. Um, uh, an interesting fact about gold in itself uh, is that if you take all the gold in the world, 
um, and you put it into uh, into one place, uh, it fits into two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Nah. That's all the really? all wow. the gold in the world fits into two <laughs> Olympic-sized swimming pools. Look those, it up. It's, those are big gold bars. Yeah, those are big gold <laughs> bars. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's quite interesting if you think about it. You would think that it's you know maybe it's a mountain or something, but uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a little blip of uh, all the That's resources amazing. that uh, that exist on Earth uh, is uh, is gold, and that is what creates the scarcity and the value of gold is because it is so so scarce. Another yeah. fun fact of gold actually is that uh, <laughs> most gold is actually. Um, uh, it's actually spread out across the ocean in the water of the ocean. So there's like yeah. tiny molecules, okay, gold so molecules. Tiny. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So if you just scoop, <laughs> scoop up some, scoop up some water, Stefan, done with a very fine sieve. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, could be, that maybe. it could be there for a while. Yeah, um, yeah, it could take some time. I'll, but yeah, I think I'll go to one of your Olympic swimming pools. Yeah, yeah, the easier, <laughs> easier, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the point I'm trying to come to here is that. Uh, um, it, it feels like the technology is landing a little bit in its in its place now. Uh, like I said, uh, Bitcoin is finding its uh, its place and its home as uh, a store of wealth. And you can make the argument then that if gold, if if you if right now there is ten trillion dollar that is that is held in gold, right now there is about one trillion dollar that is held in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So so yeah, give or take. Maybe a bit less, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, you could then make the argument that uh, if if you see these two asset classes as kind of the same, the same purpose, then why wouldn't Bitcoin uh, reach or surpass the um, the market cap of gold eventually? And I guess that is the bullish argument here: is that like, yes, Bitcoin could reach a million dollars because because there is so much money held in gold, and why wouldn't Bitcoin uh, be able to reach the same market cap? What do you what do you think? Will will Bitcoin reach a million dollars? This is the million dollar question. Yeah. Uh, not anytime soon. I hope it does. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think it will be doing that anytime soon. I, I I mean I think I think you're absolutely right. I think you know it's there's a brand piece here actually, which is you know gold has over time established itself as something you can trust for holding value. Right. I mean, it could be anything, frankly, in, in societies, different societies at different times. It has been different things. Um, and it's built that up over a long period of time. Bitcoin, obviously, is much, much younger than that. Um, and the brand piece is important. And back, you know, three, four years ago, there were lots of forks off Bitcoin, off the core uh, chain. And they were threatening to try and become the new Bitcoin, actually, with faster throughput and cheaper costs. Um, and that threatened, I think, you know, Bitcoin, uh, its brand and its kind of status as being the number one and being the place that you can store value. Um, so I think that's one thing. And that's not to say something else couldn't come along. I think it's like now to be honest with you. I think Bitcoin's kind of secured that spot. Um, but the other thing around kind of, you know, having a finite supply um, and gold, you know, is, is a reasonable example because you're probably right. You're probably not going to come across, you know, an enormous amount more. But there is there is still gold out there. Uh, the thing with Bitcoin is it is uh, and is only possible for there ever to be is 21 million Bitcoin in existence. And nobody can change that. You know, that is baked into uh, the protocol. Uh, so there is no central bank that can suddenly print more money. Uh, there is no one who can pull uh, this lever or that lever to increase that supply, decrease it. it. Just doesn't. 
it's not possible, right? Uh, it's also not possible actually to close Bitcoin down, right? And you know, there's various states that have tried to to to, to ban it, but actually, it's impossible. Um, so I think because those two things, you know, as long as there's trust in Bitcoin as a store of value, and there is this finite supply, then 21 million, it sounds like a lot, it's not a lot, right? Given the size of the planet, given the number of billionaires, millionaires on this planet, it's not a lot, right? And you know, particularly what's happened, I think, at the broader kind of economic um, you know, environment, COVID, the borrowing of money, the printing of money, actually since the, 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 the banking crisis 2008, um, we don't have control, right? And, and you look at societies like Venezuela, you look at societies like Argentina, where actually it's much more acute than it is in, you know, more sensibly managed and mature kind of economies. And no wonder, you know, Bitcoin is 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 being used very, very widely. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, you're right, it is beginning to land. It is, people are beginning to get their heads around it. Um, and you can see that with all the big banks, you know, all the big banks, all the big kind of investment firms who were like, you know, over our dead body, are we going to get involved in crypto? Um, all of a sudden, they're kind of coming back and saying, well, actually, no, we'll offer a fund. You know, we'll offer our <laughs> customers uh, access to, to, to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Um, so yeah, I think that's a trend that's just going to continue. I can't see that um, not continuing. And um, you know, as a result of that, I, I think prices are just going to go go up. Not necessarily in a straight line. It will clearly going to go up and down. It's not a ride for the faint-hearted. Um, but if you you know you want to lock it, you lock lock your you know some of your assets away. Uh, I think the general consensus is yeah, this is a pretty sensible hedge. Let's say. Uh, in terms of inflation and other potential kind of economic headwinds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in interesting. A lot of speculation, obviously, uh, being done right now. People are obviously buying uh, Bitcoin as well because they are hoping that the value will increase, not uh, only to store what they have uh, to fight inflation, but obviously they are dreaming of this uh, uh, exponential <laughs> uh, increase. Um, but um, jumping over to, uh, to to something else now, Stefan, in general, we have kind of set the... Um, uh, set the foundation here for for uh, for cryptos and, and blockchain. What it is and difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I want to ask you, you know, on on the iGaming side of things, I felt you know I, I've been in the industry for a long time, and the discussion around cryptos happened very early in our industry, and I think that's also why uh, there's been a lot of movement from the iGaming industry into uh, into blockchain. A lot of professionals who have um, who saw the potential very early. Uh, right, but within the gaming industry, the, you see some operators that are promoting themselves as uh, you know taking cryptos and and be, being crypto first. Uh, Tim Heat, uh, our investor in Agami Next, uh, obviously being a great example of of that with uh, Coin Gaming Group, who is uh, uh, who is kind of the leader in that space. Uh, but um, outside of of, um, of 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 those operators, you don't really see the mainstream tier one operators, uh, for example. Uh, adopting uh, crypto yet? Um, so, so this I guess this question is twofold. Um, first of all, why do you think that with, with when there is so incredibly amount of money floating around in this space right now, why don't the operators take uh, advantage of that to uh, to a bigger extent? And secondly, um, 
now that we have established that the blockchain can be used for other things than only transfer of um, of, of, uh, of currencies, uh, do you see any other obvious use cases now as we go forward within the Agami industry, uh, how the industry can adopt this technology that seems to be the technology of the future? Yeah, okay, no, two, two, two good questions. Um, so I think you're right uh, in that I, I kind of split the gaming world into kind of three parts. One is, well, maybe four parts. You've got land-based operators. Um, you've got internet-based operators taking fiat in and out. You then have cryptocurrencies, of which coin gaming is, is, is a great example. And then you have blockchain-based uh, gaming and gambling um, applications or businesses. So I mean, we all know what internet-based businesses are. The crypto casinos are casinos that are built on servers so the same they're built on the internet um, but they just happen to accept they accept cryptocurrency right so they're using one aspect of blockchain technology which is the the, the cryptocurrency itself and Tim you know will speak at length uh, and, and very knowledgeably as to why that's beneficial uh, even with some of the issues around uh, speed um, and it's it, it, it's well suited I think the gaming because you know, the payment side of gaming has always been a massive part of the business, if not in many instances, the business really. Um, getting payments in, getting payments out um, is, is problematic in many markets and cryptocurrency kind of helps shortcut a lot of that. Um, and I think unfortunately, you know, cryptocurrencies have been used nefariously. Um, I think probably they are held up as being uh, you know, more nefarious than they probably are, uh, if that makes sense. Um, because everybody now is KYC. You're not going to be, uh, you know, putting money into cryptocurrency or taking money out of cryptocurrency or using exchanges without being KYC. Um, so uh, I think the, the logical kind of progression is for internet businesses to start accepting cryptocurrency. Uh, and then start looking at other applications, uh, such as these, you know, decentralized uh, applications like Funfair, for instance, that I was I was involved with. Um, I think the reason why you know, cryptocurrency, from a payment point of view, is being sluggish to take off, particularly with uh, the big operators, and I think it is mainly the big operators. There are a lot of other operators that are now accepting cryptocurrency, generally outside of the big regulated markets is regulation and lack of clarity around regulation. Um, I think it's lack of understanding as well um, by some of the big big operators. Um, and it, yeah, it's probably a combination of those two, I think. I mean, I'm, they, they, they're sure gonna be aware of it uh, and I'm sure they've investigated it. Uh, and, you know, it's actually quite problematic being a, well, it's quite problematic being a gambling business and having bank accounts and other financial uh, institutions working with you. Um, and then if you throw in cryptocurrency on top of that, <laughs> it can become it can become very problematic. But that is changing. You know, I think that is changing. And as, as regulation becomes clearer, <clears throat> and I, I, I'm, you know, again, I, I, what I see from a regulatory point of view, there's always a few kind of uh, outliers who look to ban Bitcoin, um, I think Nigeria was a couple of months ago because actually the vast majority of their foreign 
transactions are now in cryptocurrency and the government was fearing loss of control um turkey more recently the general kind of movement with with crypto is from a regulatory point of view is, is pretty sensible in my mind i think regulators have come to the kind of uh conclusion this thing isn't going anywhere it's actually beneficial in many respects but it is also very challenging because you know regulators are there for a reason uh, and it's a good reason they're there to protect um but they're also there to kind of enable innovation um you wouldn't think that with all regulators but that should be and generally is part of their mandate um so yeah i think i think it's just a matter of time on the payments piece um before the big guys start accepting crypto yeah i i, I was reading an, art, an article of um DraftKings actually because they have done some things in the uh, in the nft space now they they had a raffle Giving out the CryptoPunk, actually. I, I um, saw that, yeah, yeah. The, the other way, which I just thought was an excellent promotion. It shows that uh, that uh, DraftKings are uh, with the times, obviously, and they are they are ahead of the curve in, in uh, to some extent, and uh, uh, and early technology uh, adopters. Um, but also, I read that um, uh, the, the CEO was asked, you know, will you will you accept cryptocurrencies as a payment uh, in the future? And as you mentioned, you know, there's uh, regulatory complexities uh, around that right now, uh, especially in the US, which is uh, still waking up to the reality of this online gambling in general. Uh, but Jason Robbins, the CEO, was very clear to say that, you know, we are early adopters of technology. And uh, whenever we have the opportunity, uh, that is something that we are absolutely uh, open to, to look into. So, um, so I think you are right in what you are saying in the sense that uh, yeah, there, there seems to be whenever there's a new technology, uh, there's a lag between the new technology uh, and the regulators catching up with that uh, technology, obviously, to, to make sense of it and, and so forth. The regulators tend to be uh, overly uh, careful, obviously. Um, I want to uh, jump into the next uh, uh, space here. There's so many different points here to, to discuss, so we have to kind of uh move on a bit on on the topic of nfts uh, you know let's move into it because it's just absolutely fascinating nfts is might be the biggest hype world in the world right now uh, up uh, there yes. with ai yes could be possibly. so could be so ai <laughs> yeah, yeah. nft you see in, in 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 every other article it's it's on par with gdpr a couple of years ago when that was born and uh, <laughs> uh but um uh nfts have all the hype right now and we talked about the CryptoPunks here uh, earlier, which is obviously based on the Ethereum uh, blockchain. Uh, you are able to tra to transfer these uh, avatars uh, to each other and uh, uh, pay a great deal of money to to own one of them um, to gain the the respecting credibility. Uh, can you explain a little bit? I mean, there is just an incredible amount of money that is being transferred uh, in in the top NFTs uh, right now. You mentioned I uh, heard before that. <laughs> the, the the single gray pixel, one gray <laughs> pixel is like one plus million um, dollar. And, um, you know, if you look back at the um, at the dot com crisis in the um, in the beginning of 2000s, I think what happened there, what formed the bubble is that is that the valuations were detached from reality. And uh, and and that caused the bubble, and uh, and and uh, it went the way it went. Obviously, uh, to me, it almost feels like we are seeing a similar patterns forming, particularly within the NFT uh, side of things. And so, so first of all, do you agree with that sentiment? Is there more to it that you don't that someone like me don't understand yet? You know, obviously, someone buy the 
someone buys the, the one million dollar pixel for a reason, you know, but um, at the same time, do you think that this can eventually end up hurting crypto and this space in general, that this, um, this seemingly bubble is somehow going to explode at some point? Yes, I mean, I think, unfortunately, the crypto industry has not done itself any favors in terms of kind of PR, what with the kind of ICO, uh, gold mm. rush, and, and unfortunately, a lot of scams off the back of that of three years ago. Um, uh, to some of the mania that we're seeing around NFTs at the moment. Um, and so I, I think there is a bit of a bubble. I think the bubble is, you know, in, in particular around the kind of art market. Um, although I think that is, is already changing actually. Um, if you look at, uh, you look at kind of the average sale price, um, week on week, that's been declining in general, um, on things like nifty gateway and super rare, etc. Uh, albeit the, the volume still seem to be strong, if not going up, um, so look, I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, again, when you introduce something new, uh, there often is some kind of hysteria. Um, and I think we are we are seeing that. But I think, you know, it's not just a flash in the pan. It's not just a, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. The people are beginning to work out the some of the underlying value uh, that NFTs can create beyond really kind of speculative, right, we'll put something out there we can hype it, we can get an incredible price, create a secondary market, uh, benefit from that secondary market because I can take a cut of that secondary market uh, and then we'll walk away, uh, <laughs> you know, much, much wealthier than before. So, you know, the art market, there's a lot of rubbish out there, frankly, in my opinion. It's difficult right, because it's subjective. I think there probably is a new art movement forming um and i think that probably does have a different aesthetic and i think it has a very different kind of dynamic than the traditional art market i think it's far more inclusive uh, i think it's actually much more gamified uh, and there's almost an element of kind of gamble in there as well it's much more community driven all of those mm. things i think are great you know why not because the art market's been extremely uh you know exclusive and and uh you know not very open um so yes, I, look, I agree, but I also think this is, you know, it's, it's unfortunately one of those things that kind of happens uh, and then the market kind of moves on. Yeah. Um, so th there is this famous concept that a, a marketing agency drew up, I think in the 70s or something, it's uh, the concept of the hype cycle, uh, right? And yeah, it's just yeah. a, a mm -hmm. law of nature in, in reality where um, whenever a new product launches, first it's becoming very, very hyped of the market. It reaches a climax. Uh, then it crashes, and then from there it stabilizes, so to say. And I think that's the argument you're, you're making here in the sense that, yes, we could very well see a bubble bursting at some point, and NFTs it seems inevitable. However, NFTs in the long run are here to stay. Correct. I mean, I think the other thing to say is, you know, NFTs have been around for quite a while. They just haven't been on people's radars. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, what you, uh, you know, part of the kind of hyperinflation that we're seeing within the NFT market is, with a few exceptions, it's still a relatively small community, right? It's growing, but it's a relatively small community who actually bought in very early and have seen their prices go through the roof, right? If you bought 100 punks two years ago, three years ago, 
you've made a lot of money and you're quite happy to kind of recycle that back into NFTs. Um, so it's a bit of a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy to an extent as well, I would say. Um, but yes, I think the hype cycle is a good is a good analogy. Yeah, uh, th th there was also, I mean, playing the devil's advocate here a little bit. There was also, I read an article recently. Like I said, I mean, I'm learning curve here now, so I'm I'm happy that we're having this conversation, so I can understand things a little bit better at least. Um, but I read an article recently that uh, someone ha had found an exploit in the smart contract that is standardized within the NFTs. So. Uh, so that you are basically able to mint NFTs, as in create an NFT under anyone's name uh, and then transfer it to someone else. So basically, you would you 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 could say that you create a, a fake art piece um, under someone else's name, and then that art piece <clears throat> could be sold to unknowing potential buyers. Um, so with that in mind, and that is kind of um, potentially at its core hurting the integrity of the, the very basic premise of the NFTs, which is the fact that it shouldn't be able to, you, you, you shouldn't be able to corrupt that, uh, um, that integrity within the, within the blockchain. Do, do you see that because the technology is so new um, that there are potential, potentially these issues that could, uh, that could potentially handicap the whole, the whole concept of what an NFT can bring you in terms of Ownership. I, I so that that's new one on me. I don't see it from a technology point of view. Actually, mm. I don't. I don't quite know how you could create an NFT um, from a wallet. You know, it, it, kind of impersonating someone else's wallet when you actually mint that NFT. Um, I think there's plenty of scope for, mm, let's say, put it politely. Uh, confusion and less politely kind of corruption uh, but not at a technology level so because you know I could take a Beeple I could mint a Beeple piece of artwork myself right and I could do some nice marketing and you know mirror everything around it as if it was an official piece of Beeple artwork and it is a uh, NFT well, unfortunately, somebody might be gullible enough to buy that, right? The technology itself, I don't think, you know, there is, as far as I'm aware, I don't think there is any flaw within the technology per se. But the application of that technology is quite easy to uh, potentially manipulate. So I, I think there's an education piece. I think there's a kind of standards piece. Uh, and, you know, potentially there's a regulatory piece around this. I mean, I kind of hear through the grapevine that, you know, the NBA are delighted they've got such a successful, um, uh, you know, program of NFTs, but they're also a bit worried because, you know, the value of those NFTs has gone through the roof. Um, and, you know, as more and more, uh, you know, diehard fans who don't necessarily have, you know, a great deal of money are buying in, uh, is it only a matter of time before those cards depreciate in value? And they've left a lot of the true fans, you know, in a negative financial position. Um, so I think, look, again, it's it's nascent. Again, there's there's some standards that need to be put in place. There's some education that needs to be put in place. Um, there's also this debate around kind of IP 
yeah. and who owns the IP, etc. And you know, it's, it's interesting, and again, it varies. Um, so I I collect um, uh, uh, some NFTs which are called avatars. They're again kind of avatar based um, model. And this is actually, I think, really quite interesting from a gaming and gambling perspective. They've created all these different attributes that make up a face, right? Eye colors, nose shapes, ears, hats, you name it. And they, you can create with all of the different assets that they've got, and like 50 billion different um, avatars or avastars. They've capped it to 25,000, okay? And actually, they do different drops. So there's five drops of 5,000. There's only one more drop left um, to go. And the faces appear, so these attributes are brought together in browser. So you're scrolling your browser, and it's a bit like a slot machine, frankly, because you're getting rows of different faces appearing, and they're being created in browser in real time. And you then decide, well, I like to look at that one. I click on that one, and then it gives me all the different attributes, and it tells me how scarce it is versus other ones. And you then buy it, and you add it to your collection. Um, but the, the, the beautiful thing about uh, Avastars is it's all stored on, on chain. So all of those different elements are actually on chain. They're not on a server. So it doesn't matter what happens to the people who are running Avastars today. This will live forever on chain. And when I go to view my Avastar, it's not the thing, the finished piece. It pulls all the different bits together in real time again for me to then see my Avastar. Right, because it's much lighter. It's much lighter to store it that way on, on the blockchain, yeah. which is quite cool. Um, <laughs> but it also gives you full IP rights to it. So I can do yeah. anything I want with that Avastar. I can use it for a company logo. I can put it in an advert. I can print T-shirts. I can put it, whatever I want to do with it, right? Mm. And often, I think more often than not, I'm not an expert in, in the art market, but I think more often than not, if you buy a piece of artwork from a gallery, Yes, you have the right to put it on your wall and enjoy it from a personal perspective. I don't think actually in most cases you actually have the right to then reproduce that uh, and sell it and distribute it on. Hmm. Those rights reside with the artist still or potentially the gallery or between the two of them. And again, because this kind of mad rush into NFTs is taking place, there's no standards, right? So you might have at one end of the spectrum Avastars, which is completely decentralized and you have full ownership and you do whatever you want with it. To the other end of the spectrum, which is something maybe like the NBA, uh, which you own the rights to kind of enjoy it like a piece of art, but you don't own any IP. Mm. Um, so again, I think that causes confusion um you own the bragging rights i mean in the in, in the base case it's kind of kind of like you own the bragging rights of saying i bought the piece but you don't really own it yeah i mean i mean because actually an nft is it's really a di digital certification to say that mm. you own either one of one or one of not very many of a digital asset. It doesn't even need to be a digital asset, actually, it could be a physical asset. Um, and yes, you can very easily reproduce that, particularly digitally, but you can easily reproduce physical artwork. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the counterfeit market is huge. Um, 
So again, it's it's a slightly alien sort of nebulous concept. Um, exactly. But the NBA thing is interesting because it, because it came from trading cards, right? It's, yeah. it's such an, an obvious analogy there. Yeah. I think that's probably why it's transitioned quite as easily as it has done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's the same. I mean, I have um, at home, you know, I, I have my favorite art piece, The Starry Night by Van Gogh on my wall, you know, and people, and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, people make fun of that or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it's obviously not that I've stolen the art piece from an art gallery. This is a, a copy, you know, I hope I'm not gonna get thrown into prison by saying this. Um, but, um, but similarly uh, to that, you know, because I have that on my wall, it doesn't decrease the value of the original piece. Uh, right, so um, I think that is the uh, we, we have to like search in ourselves as human beings, uh, and, and 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 you know what is it within us that say this original holds value uh, because it is the original. It's not because it's painted better than my uh, fake painting that was painted by a lovely woman in a corner store in, in Vietnam, um, but uh, it's the fact that it has the history and and, and it's the provenance it. and the yeah. yeah. And I just find that quite interesting in general because uh, in, you know, the counterintuitive um, first feeling when you say, you know, why do you have a CryptoPunk that is so expensive? Um, that counterintuitive feeling is very deeply embedded in, in who we are as human beings because when we actually dig into the questions and, you know, if you ask the same person, why is Mona Lisa worth 450 million uh, euro? They're like, yeah, of course it is. Uh, you know, it, it has history. It, uh, it, it was painted a long time ago, and through time, it's accrued value, and, and so on and so forth. But, but again, it leads back to the question that it's not really uh, because of the um, that it was some incredibly specially painted painting uh, by some special, uh, you know, out of this world <laughs> material or whatever uh, like this. It is, uh, it is just uh, how, how we are programmed as human beings, and. I just find it's very fascinating in, in, in that sense, how we attribute value to, uh, you know, just being able to say that you you own it because uh, the, the NBA in this case have kind of put this on a certificate that yes, you are now the owner and therefore um, your attributes then value that can be get to be resold and so forth and so on. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it, it is fascinating, but the I think the other thing, and I think that's probably where NFTs will, become more kind of understandable and maybe gain more kind of traction mm. is actually uh well it's two two areas one is physical and digital so i'm doing a piece of work at the moment with an italian fashion designer um and they created a limited edition physical range of accessories um extremely beautifully created with italian artisans and they've got a little motif on there which is this kind of digital crypto motif on the backpacks and wallets and whatever else. And we are issuing a digital twin. So with the physical product, you get a digital version of that product, which is a authenticity from a brand point of view, proof of ownership. So to help kind of counter counterfeiting, um, you can bake in the provenance of that product into the NFT. So, you know, there's this Italian artisan, who worked on the leather and this Italian metal worker worked on you know the the the, the, the kind of the design piece whatever else might be in there um, so you're you're kind of bringing the physical and the digital together 
Um, and then actually with the digital piece, if it's a replication of the physical, well, you could take that and you could put it into a virtual wardrobe. Uh, so you could show it off to your friends if you've not got it with you. You could use it on your avatar. You could use it into metaverses, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the potential goes on and on and on. The other area which is purely digital um, is the gaming space. Gaming, not gambling. And I think gaming is, is you know, three or four steps ahead of gambling in this regard. Um, and there's a project I really like called The Sandbox. Um, yes. And they're creating a metaverse. So metaverse is kind of a shared virtual space, okay? And, you know, we've had these shared virtual spaces before. You'd argue Facebook, you know, and, and MySpace, et cetera, et cetera, from many years ago now with these shared virtual spaces. So why should it be any different this time around? Well, I, I, I think it's to do with ownership. And the, the ownership is imbued through NFT. So what Sandbox does is it has uh, a finite amount of land uh, and it sells off that land in auctions. Um, and lots of people are buying it. Um, from gaming companies, not so many on the gambling side. Um, lots of IPs and you know mainstream IPs are beginning to buy land, but you can own that land for the first time. It's not owned by the game developer anymore. It's owned <laughs> by you because it's an NFT, um, and that means you know you you do actually have the IP for that piece of land. You have the land rights. You can do pretty much what you want with it, and importantly, you can also trade it. Okay, so. That's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is, well, look, games have traditionally had in-game currencies. And again, those in-game currencies have been owned by a central entity, the game developer, where you can have a, a it's perfect use case um, for a cryptocurrency to be that in-game currency. Uh, so that's not an NFT. That's a fungible token, but still runs through kind of everything within that metaverse. Then you can say, well, look, actually, you know, assets that I earn in gameplay a sword a power or you know an invisible cloak whatever it might be they can become nfts and i can own those so again it's not a central entity that owns them it's me and because i own them i can trade them but you could also uh within the metaverse at least and you know this is going to be a struggle for centralized businesses but why couldn't i take that asset and for that asset to be interoperable so i can take it from one game into another game and it has value in multiple games right and i can do that because i own it in theory right and you can within the metaverse and beyond that you can create assets so you could create your own swords you could create you know a, i think there's a building company or a couple of building companies within the sandbox. <laughs> These are builders who will build you a virtual house on your virtual land. Amazing. Um, you can be, become, become a meta-capitalist. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so there's all sorts of craziness, but it's, it's, it's the ownership piece that I think you know, will distinguish the kind of metaverses that, I, you know, who knows? You know, maybe they won't take off, but they are... They're certainly getting a lot of traction, and I think they're significant. You know, they're sufficiently different because of the ownership piece. And then when you overlay things like you know virtual reality, etc., um, I think it becomes quite interesting. I think it becomes quite an interesting kind of cocktail. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen Redder Player One, but the, 
yes yeah yeah, yeah 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 i mean that, yeah. that's that's yeah. that's what's happening to some extent so so just to just to kind of break this down a bit so i understand as well so so sandbox is obviously um, a a game that is produced by a company um which is being uh, launched i think uh, later this year or something like that and they are already now auctioning off this uh, land but the the land is based on the on the blockchain uh, right so what you're saying is so you you own that land um and it's not run it, it, it's not um it, it, i guess you could say it's a hybrid between a centralized and a decentralized system because obviously if the service of the game goes down then obviously the land goes disappears as well so to some extent it's uh, it's, it's centralized too but the, the economy itself is decentralized um and uh, and what this enables is basically to, cre to create this uh, uh, economy within this game where you can actually like you're saying you can have jobs within this world where you can specialize in building houses or building other things and as a landowner you can become this basically this <laughs> capitalist and building whatever you want to build and then others can come to your land and, and um, experience uh, whatever mini game or whatever you have created and you can charge money for that um, yeah, and actually yeah. earn a living within within this space either by working or becoming a capitalist basically investing in, and, and and so on and so forth i just thought that i mean we are going completely full circle uh, here in, in uh, you know, from what's happening in real life is being transferred into into digital, but it just makes a lot of sense. The world is being digitalized. And I guess just to put it a little bit more into context, I think that you could make the analogy, uh, everyone is familiar with the game GTA, obviously Grand Theft Auto. And a, a prediction on my end would be that GTA 6, who has, which has not been launched yet obviously or announced but you would assume that it's a perfect use case to basically uh incorporate the blockchain a blockchain economy within gta that would be such a obvious uh move from from rockstar the the, the game then but we will have to we'll have to wait and, and see on that case so i'm i'm conscious here about the time Stefan. by the way i know that sure, uh, we, sure. we have a we have a hard stop uh, um uh now but um to close things off as well just um uh, it would be really interesting as well if you could give some last words as well on the, on the metaverse and NFTs and the use cases within iGaming specifically. And if you've seen anything or have any thoughts on that as a loss for today. Uh, sure, so sorry, anything further on metaverses and then... Yeah, uh, if, you, uh, if you have seen any specific use cases for the gaming iGaming industry within okay. metaverses or NFTs in general, as a closing thought today. Yeah. Um... So I'm kind of surprised there aren't more iGaming uh, applications within metaverses. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfectly suited for it. Um, that's not to say there isn't, but maybe it's, you know, I'm just not aware, aware of it. It's mainly gaming that I'm seeing currently in the metaverses. More broadly with kind of blockchain um, and, you know, suitable kind of use cases for uh, iGaming. I mean, I think NFTs is, is, is absolutely ripe for... Uh, iGaming, I think, I mean, you think about the amount of IP that game developers have, for instance, uh, and the ability to uh, suddenly create ownership around that IP. I think maybe more so from game developers than operators, but again, this idea of having interoperable assets or bonuses that you own as, a, as, a, as an individual that you can play across different operators and across different games. Uh, has enormous potential. Um, mm. So I'd be surprised if you know there aren't game developers out there already thinking about it. I'm working on a project at the moment which is looking at a uh, an NFT poker game, 
so you collect cards, you own those cards, you can trade those cards. Uh, and it's kind of a hybrid It's a, because the cards are created by artists um, and the scarcity baked into the cards uh, and there's different additions. Um, but you also have utility, which is to be able to play a, a simplified version of poker, but a game of poker nonetheless. Um, you've also got uh, a rise in something called uh, play-to-earn gaming. And this is um, quite nicely embodied by a project called Pool Together. Uh, and Pool Together positions itself as a no-loss lottery. So it's kind of like premium bonds in that you put your you pool cryptocurrency um, with others into a contest. And that is put into DeFi protocols. You don't even have to do anything as a user. It happens behind the scenes. And those DeFi protocols can earn significant um, interest rates. And the interest rate then gets shared as a prize. Uh, so you have no, you know, there's no loss. It's a lottery with fairly substantial prizes. Um, and you can take your capital out at any time and your capital is never at risk. Right, so it's kind of a cross between gambling, but it's kind of not gambling because you're not risking anything, but there is a big prize and there's lots of gamification around it. Yeah, uh, and yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much. But you can take that concept into all sorts of aspects of yeah. uh, gaming. And for instance, if you deposited cryptocurrency and it's held with an operator, well, that could be put into a no-loss lottery. So you're not even playing, but actually you are playing because your funds are being used at no risk to earn interest and make payouts um, to you. So <laughs> I think kind of NFTs, I think this kind of idea of um, play to earn gaming, which again we're beginning to see uh, more so in gaming is perfectly applicable to gambling as well. Um, and then there's a stack of other things, you know, from kind of provably fair gaming um, to KYC, massive implications for KYC, uh, and kind of reducing the burden on operators through uh, self-sovereign identity, uh, and the list goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's such an incredibly fascinating space right now, and it's kind of like internet 1999, uh, 1, what's happening right now. Uh, and I think, you know, if you are, uh, you know, the, for the gaming companies, others who are listening, uh, if you are looking to get, to get into this space, it's, su it's such an arbitrary concept. It's hard to understand, and therefore people choose to not think about it. But but I think um, giving it a chance and really uh, really looking into what it can bring to your company in the future is uh, obviously something that uh, that's any forward-thinking organization to look into right now. Uh, so you know, I, I would just make the pitch for you here, Stefan. Basically, that uh, you know, if you want to get into this space, I mean, Stefan, you are obviously the right person to 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 speak to uh, to to get more insight into into what can be done um, in this space and, and for your organization, basically. So, um, so so that's my that's my uh, little elevator pitch uh, <laughs> here to appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. As a closing thought today, Stefan, I want to just uh, bring up a quote by. Metakovan, who bought the $69 million NFT of Beeple that was called the, the artwork that was called the first 5,000 days. And, and Metakovan, he said that if, if America was an idea, then crypto would be the new America. 
because of its freedom and its accessibility and what it stands for. I just thought that was a nice little quote. So with that, I'd just like to thank you, Stefan. Thanks for taking your time today. It's been an absolute joy to, uh, to go down the rabbit hole with you and, and uh, hopefully we can follow up on all these concepts uh, again soon. Perfect. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.